Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Mercy is the mark of a great man. Oh. Oh. Guess I'm just a good man. Oh. Well, I'm all right. You are not Captain Kirk. You do not belong in charge of the Enterprise and I shall do everything in my power against you. You know what the chain of command is? It's a chain I go get and beat you with till you understand who's in command here. Frequently appalled by the low regard you Earthmen have for life. Another fun-filled, um, adventurous, pulse-pounding episode of SFP Now, and um, the uh, special guest on this show this week is uh, Jeff Danner, the uh, composer for the um, TV series Continuum, uh, which has uh, like recently finished its second season on Sci-Fi, and um, you know work is going ahead with the third season. Um, but with me to go over some of the uh, past week's news first is uh, our good friend and um, the editor of US Content on SciFiPulse.net, Ty Bedoni. How you doing, Ty? Ian, my friend, thank you for having me. As always, I'm doing great. And you? I'm I'm not so bad. I'm a bit out of breath now. I mean, that song like uh, the most upsetting one breath in a while. <laughs> yeah, I was wondering, is this guy going to take a breath? That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, what can I say? It's um, it's all that vocal training <laughs> yes, I did yes. when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> well done, Ian. Well done. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I got a... Um, I don't know about you, but I got a really nice present in my email today. Ooh, what was that? Um, some guitar tab um, off my guitar tutor. Um, he basically uh, tabbed the uh, theme to Star Wars for me. So I'm going to be having... Oh, that is that. great. <laughs> and, uh, and and as a return favour, I figured out how to um, play do- the Doctor Who theme, so I tapped out and sent it back to him. And says, here's another good one for beginners. <laughs> so I love- Life is good when that <laughs> sci-fi themed uh, songs is what we can do. I love it. Uh-huh. And now, last week in news... Seems to be quite a lot happening today. Um, and we'll start off. We'll, we'll just go go over what we've sort of like put up on the website today. I think because it's, yeah, it's probably quite quite a bit there. The first thing I like to point out. I'm going to put this up tomorrow. Um, it's going to go up on. Um, well, it'll be up on Tuesday. Um, well, it's already been up in this timeline because uh, we record ahead of time. But basically, uh, right. Benedict Cumberbatch. Um, it was actually rumored last week that um, he'd been approached to play the uh, villain in. Star Wars Episode 7. Um, anyway, as of today, or as of this week, um, as we are now on this week, um, he, his agent, you know, his representative has actually said that um, he has not been approached to play a villain in Star Wars Episode 7. So, 
Um, it could be, could well be a rumor. Yeah, and you know how the internet is with rumors. <laughs> mm, we, 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 we sure do. I mean, um, I, I'm inclined to think it is a rumor because you know, if he's if he's in Star Wars Episode Seven after having played Khan and having been in The Hobbit, you know, it's, it's kind of a bit ridiculous one one person being a villain across three different franchises. <laughs> Well, I mean, who either that or they're just throwing us off. I mean, I, I guess we're going to have to wait and see. But I'm, I don't know. I, I, actors don't like to get typecast as villains and what have you. But for some reason, I don't think that you know, Cumberbatch would need to worry about that. So I don't know. My gut on this one is we're going to have to wait and see. I, I just don't know what to say either way. You know, I'd love to see him as the villain. To be honest with you, he can make a nice. Uh, he'd make a good young uh, Emperor Palpatine, uh, wouldn't he? <laughs> mm, yeah, I, I don't really want to see him as a villain in Star Wars after we've seen him as Khan and as Smog the Dragon in the. Uh, in a hobbit, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think they should give some other actor the work. <laughs> you know, he's getting greedy for all these genre roles. Give it to some other guy. Give it to me. I'll do it. You know, I'll I'll do it. I'll do it for less than what 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 Benedict Cumberbatch would ask. You know, you know? right? Absolutely. <laughs> well, do... who knows? You know, I think we got to wait and see on that one. I don't know. I I I, I saw something though. On the internet about uh, 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 the gentleman who plays Loki uh, and Cumberbatch, and apparently them looking for a replacement. So uh, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there is something to, to it because isn't he leaving uh, Sherlock? Uh, no, 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 no. That's um, he, he's he's actually doing season three, and they're they're actually uh, they've actually been talks about season four. In fact, Cumberbatch uh, himself okay. said that they'll do in season three, and once they do season three, they'll be doing season four. Um, did, him, did, did we just start another internet rumor? <laughs> no, this has been this has been going around for a while. You know, he actually said it himself in an, in an interview yeah, for yeah, yeah, times. Yeah, that's right. That's um, but season four has not been uh, as of yet officially confirmed. Um, but it does look good. You know, for, for a fourth season, gotcha. it's uh, maybe that's what I was. Uh, that's that's what I was referring to. Yeah. I mean, so your sense is no, I don't want to see Cumberbatch as the villain. Yeah. But he was such a good bad guy. No, he's no Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> no, he's no Ricardo Montalban. But I thought he was a he was a good villain. You know, I thought he was a good bad guy. But uh, but we'll see. I guess we'll we'll uh, we'll know soon enough. I'll bet. Mm, probably, I mean, so like, um, they've, they've made, they've not really made too many, um, official, uh, solid casting announcements on the film as of yet anyway, so. No, no, you know, yeah, I, think, I agree. I think we've got a bit of time. We'll probably start hearing more and more, you know, being confirmed, um, as we get into 2014, I reckon. Right, right, which is right around the corner, so. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, you, you posted an interesting story here, um, Free Babylon 5, a call to syndicate the show. Yeah, I, um, you know, I got an email from a very good, dear friend of mine for quite some time. You know, it's amazing how long you've been um, doing this. And so, uh, uh, Sandra Bruckner, she uh, runs the IS, the, uh, the Zocalo Today. You know, she runs the Babylon 5 website, right? Mm-hmm. And um, she sent me an email and she said, you know, Ty, can you, can you help me get the word out on this? And, and, you know, when I read it, uh, you know, Free Babylon 5 and Trzinski's, uh, you know, apparently he was, uh, watching Breaking Bad and, uh, there was a reference to Babylon 5 on it. So it got him, you know, it got him, uh, uh, thinking and realizing, you know, the show's not in syndication and, 
if it doesn't start getting watched, it's going to, you know, you know, just ride off into the obscurity sunset, as it were. So, um, you know, he put out a tweet and a Facebook call to his fans to uh, let's get the word out and let's get, you know, B5 back into syndication. And then who knows, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, one, you know, anytime, you know, someone like Sandra Bruckner, who, who's just has her ear to the grindstone and she's just great, great to fans and really loved, you know, B5 and still keeps the site going. Um, and, you know, I said, absolutely. You know, I'm a fan of B5 and I said, you know, I think that's great, uh, a great story and, and let's do something on it. And, and so, uh, I'd love to see B5 in, in syndication again. And gosh, who knows, you know, Crusade would have been a great show had they given it another, could have been anyway, had they given it a, a, another season to, to get its legs under it. So, uh, yeah, Straczynski would like the fans to get the word out to, uh, to, to the powers that be, whether it be at Sci-Fi or Chiller or the two that he mentioned, uh, but with respect to Warner Brothers as well, to, you know, for the show to come back out in syndication. So yeah. that's what the call is for right now. Well, you know, I'm, I'm all for it. I mean, I'm, I'm, B fan, I'm B5 fan myself. Um, I actually um, seen the first two seasons um, when they went out live here in the UK. And when, when I mean live, I mean the first airings of them here in the UK. Right. But what happened is they, they started moving it around the schedules in the UK, so I never really caught uh-huh. the third, fourth, and fifth season. So uh, in order to catch the rest of it, I ended up having to watch it in syndication when, when it was repeated on our sci-fi channel. You know, right. Here. And um, I, caught it, I caught it a few times in syndication. When last time I seen it on air here in the UK, it was probably around about 2003. Wow, yeah. You know, so it's been a while. Yeah, it's been, it's been a while. And, um, you know, I just Crazy think... Crazy how time I, I just think it's um, it's a series that deserves to be shown in syndication around the world just as much yeah. as the original Star Trek series, you know, because... I, I- yeah, I agree. Great show. It's a great show. Yeah, so it's it sort of moved. It sort of moved science fiction along. You know, people go on about uh, Ron Moore's Battlestar Galactica remake being the game changer. It wasn't. It was Babylon Five. You know, if Babylon Five hadn't been around and been and gone, you know, Ron Moore wouldn't have had the balls to do um, that Battlestar Galactica with, um, with 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 a series long arc. B five did it yeah. first. It was a template for everything that's that's been been and gone since then. Yeah, it was well done. It was uh, in so many ways. Um, uh, I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed Babylon Five, and I, I want to see it come back as well. So, uh, so I'm heeding Straczynski's call, uh, <laughs> and I put the word out. I, I did my best to help put the word out, and uh, and uh, I even I even sent off. And I guess I got to be careful, but I even sent off uh, uh, some links to the article to. Uh, a, a few B five actors who I'm Facebook friends with, and uh, you know I won't I won't say which one. I'll tell you personally, but I won't say online. But I did I did hear back from one who was like, uh, you know, I really hope B five will go back into syndication, but that's not really something I want to talk about. Thanks. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hmm, what does that mean? You know, I mean, again, I'm not going to say what it is because they said I don't want to say anything. And, but um, but what, what's that? What's that about? I wonder. You know, well, I'm not <laughs> what's gonna... going on. I'm not going to uh, mention names or anything, but I can kind of guess who that was um, without mentioning <laughs> names. And, in, in, yeah. you know, for anyone who's actually uh, been to conventions and stuff like that, it doesn't really take too much guesswork. <laughs> yeah, so it, it, it probably is that one. <laughs> but, but anyway, but, uh, you know, we'll... we'll 
I sent the call out, as did Sandra, to a few others. You know, just thinking the next article would be great if we could, you know, have a couple of uh, quotes from, you know, from from some of the from some of the personalities on the show. So we'll, we'll we'll see what happens. Most of them are just great folks. You know, the ones that I've met, and I've met most of them. Mm-hmm. Um, so so uh, I, you know, I I'd love to see the show back up, and uh, I wouldn't. Need, I I would love to see what Straczynski could do with another show, but uh, he's really something. You know, he he even was was attached to World War Z. It, it, they didn't use his stuff, but uh, you know, he's still working. He's doing some great stuff. Um, with, uh, oh God, what are they called? Uh, he has a, a comic line out with, uh, through Image that's doing pretty good stuff. Ten Grand, you know, I did a review of Ten Grand, one of his books, and I think Sidekicks is another. So, uh, you know, he's working. Yeah, no, I'm not a big fan of his comics, actually, so we'll not go there. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the um, another another bit of news is um, as you know, in the summer it was announced that Mark Gatiss has scored had scored a role in Game of Thrones. Well, it's now actually being revealed the role he's actually be going to be playing, and he's going to be playing the role of Tychos Nestoris, um, a representative of the Iron Bank of Bravos in the upcoming season of the HBO drama. Uh, the character of Nastaris appears in the fifth and sixth of George R. R. Martin's novels, uh, titled The Dance with Dragons and The Winds of Winter. Uh, he arrives in Westeros in search of Stannis Baratheon in order to negotiate repayment of a debt owed by the Iron Throne. Sounds like sounds Ooh. like he's in sounds like he's in in need of your services as a mediator, there, dude. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what my, how good my services would do in that kind of setting. I might die too if it didn't work out too well. But <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, you seen what happened to Sean Bean? It's a brutal universe. <laughs> But that's that's actually being revealed, and um, you know, I quite looking for. I quite look forward to seeing seeing you know Gattis, you know, Gatis do that. I'm not sure if it's Gattis or Gatis. Um, they they kind of pronounce it Gatis, I think. So, uh, you know, you say tomato, they say tomato. Who knows? <laughs> yeah, it's only a name. If I'm saying it wrong, you can sue me. You know, for yeah. what? For what? I don't know, but. <laughs> And uh, an interesting news story you put up today again is uh, Shatner says he would appear on Big Bang Theory. I, I think yeah, he should. that's fun. I think he should replace Sheldon for an episode. <laughs> oh, I see. I see what you're saying. Why not? Why not? He probably could. Eh? <laughs> he probably could do so. I think and he's very much like Sheldon with with respect to his reverence for fans. I think, <laughs> which is not much. <laughs> that, that's but, what, uh, you know. That, that's what I think. I just think. It be really funny if um, if if they do an episode where they 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 go to an alternate universe and uh, Sheldon in that alternate universe is actually William Shatner. <laughs> well, I don't know. I think they could. Uh, you know, I think what in the article he said, uh, "When I get back to LA, I'm going to make a call." So uh, I, I don't know. Maybe he will. You know, I, I I don't see why they wouldn't. The producers wouldn't do it unless. His demands uh, for payment are so absorbent, but um, I mean, it'll fit. I mean, uh, Leonard Nimoy, that was a great episode that he was in. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, that and was so, uh, yeah, it was great. Yeah, but, you know, the, uh, what, what I don't get, he says he's, he's, when he gets back to LA, he's going to make a call. Hasn't the guy ever heard of cell phones? I mean, come on. <laughs> 
Yeah, or, you know, subspace communique, something like that. Give me a break. Yeah. <laughs> you know, get, get into the 21st century, Mr. Shatner. I mean, come on, dude. You practically invented the Well, he probably the cell meant phone. to say, when I get back to L.A., I'll have my assistant make a call. It's probably what he meant to say. Yeah. I you know. <laughs> when, when he said he was going to make a call, I thought he was going to stick his head out the window and go, Yo! <laughs> But that would be fun, and I could see how I could see how uh, the producers of Big Bang Theory would at least listen, you know, because why wouldn't you want to have? I mean, they've had so many Star Trek celeb personalities on the show, you know, being that the that the cast is such big fans, so mm-hmm. at least uh, on the TV show. So I, I, you know, I'm not a huge Shatner fan. I've got to be honest with you. I love Captain Kirk. Not a huge Shatner fan, but I would like to see him and see what they would do, you know, storyline-wise, you know, with uh, with William Shatner. So I'm all for it. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a massive Shatner fan either. But you know, it's sort of like uh, I, th- I think um, for the sake of argument, you know, he's got lots of fans out there. He's got a huge fan base, um, and if Big Bang Theory wants to increase its already massive audience, um, having William Shatner on there. Would would actually have all all his uh, all his devoted fans, you know, following. Yeah. You know, you know. Think, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure it would probably well received. Yeah, it would be. I mean, so like it, it might be even better if they managed to get do an episode where they could actually have Shatner and Nimoy do it. Uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, but uh, the only time I've seen them, you know, double books. I think they did that with uh, Will Wheaton and uh, and uh, uh, was it Brent Spiner? It, it was yeah, and Brent Spiner. I think that's right. Not Lavar, but no Lavar Burton. No, it was yeah, Will Wheaton and Brent Spiner. That's right. That worked out great, you know. So uh, you know that would be fun, but we'll see. I don't know. It could happen. It could. It could definitely happen. I think. I think it'll get you know. Uh, it probably get some some people's attention. The, you know that new story. We'll see. I'd like to see it happen though. Yeah, give us something to write about as well. So that's always good. Thing. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, it's been kind of slow this week already. It's a Monday, and we've already got like eight articles up there today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I agree. Yeah, um, and uh, the story that you started everything off with today, uh, will Katie Sackhoff be Disney's uh, Miss Marvel? Now, I've always found yeah. Katie Sackhoff's surname quite humorous, given that in the original B- B- BG, Starbuck was played by a male. Then he had his yeah. socks off and changed his name to Katie. And <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But, um, I, you know, I think I, I like Katie Sackhoff. Everyone likes Katie Sackhoff. She's fun. She'd probably make a great superhero. So, uh, you know, as far as that's concerned, I'd love to see her. Oh, come as, on, dude. Uh, dude, admit it. You're a bloke. You just want to see her in spandex. That's all it is. Love to see her in spandex. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm a huge... Absolutely. I, you know, I've... If anything, I'm probably, it's probably like the Big Bang Theory. <laughs> when what's his name <laughs> is uh, fantasizing about her being, uh, being in the tub with her and she, <laughs> and George the guy jumps in the picture. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Yeah, that that that, yeah, that would definitely kill the moment if George Takei was in my bathtub with me. You know what? Yeah, but it was hilarious. It was absolutely hilarious. <laughs> I'd probably have fantasized about Katie Sackhoff mm-hmm. in a in a in a Battlestar Galactica, you know, Viper suit myself. So yes, I want to see her dressed as Miss Marvel, kicking some bad guy butt. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> she was a um, you know, in a, a while back, a couple of years ago, she actually uh, she was in an interview and she. Said, said that 
a role that she'd love to play if it ever happened and it was concerning Daredevil franchise. But she said that a role that she'd love to play would be Typhoid Mary. Yeah, and I saw something about that actually as I was researching the story. I saw something about Typhoid Mary, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't touch go there. But uh, really, Typhoid Mary, so she must be a comic book reader as well. Mm. Well, yeah, I mean, I guess she is. But that that was about, I think that was about two, maybe three years ago. She said that uh-huh. uh, because we actually ran a story on it. <laughs> but <laughs> kind of, there's speak- nothing sexier than a woman who likes comic books. Let me tell you. Uh, I just love, I just love a woman that likes ink. <laughs> You know, in some cases, not all over the body, but, you know, a few tasteful tattoos, you know, it's cool. Yeah, well, you know. Katie Sackhoff can do whatever she wants in my book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, so I, I don't think you'd ever write a book if Katie Sackhoff was around, dude. You know, you might, you might get, you might get one word out on a black piece of paper. <laughs> That'd be fine. Yeah. <laughs> that would be fine. Probably... I'll just sit there and take notes. <laughs> <laughs> and um, have we got, have we got any time? We got time left? Yeah, yeah. Um, just uh, you know, an article that you posted. I think there's a. Um, I think this is by your friend. Let me hang. Let me find it a little bit. Um, no, actually, it's by you. You wrote it. Um, DC editorial team on Batwoman quit over gay rights. Ooh. Oh yeah, yeah. That I, that was probably my favorite article today. Um, yeah, I thought that was that was really something. I mean, you know, for. Uh, for for a create for writers, you know, on a on a popular series to quit, uh, that uh, I thought that was something, you know, and and now, I, okay, granted, it's not only because they told them don't marry them. It's just it's apparently they've been you know last minute you know changing the stuff they're doing and and not giving them the freedom they need. But I think the point of the article is that DC, the powers that be at DC were emphatic about not letting, uh, you know, Batwoman marry her her uh, same-sex partner. Mm. That's the point. And, uh, you know, they've got some recent history about these kinds of decisions, you know, and, uh, you know, it's not enough to have a gay character and say, oh, okay, we support, you know, the GLBT community. You know, gay characters are going to have gay lives and they're going to have gay issues and they're, 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 their lives and the circumstances surrounding their lives will revolve around these issues to some extent. Okay, a superhero is a superhero is a superhero. So when they're fighting bad guys, that really has nothing to do with it. But they still have personal lives, and, you know, uh, don't they have a duty? I mean, you know, that's a huge issue right now, at least in the United States. I know it's settled in the U.K., but in the U.S., gay marriage is a huge issue. And if if, if they're going to go ahead and have gay characters, I mean, Marvel did it. North Star married his, his, his life partner in the X-Men. So uh, I just, you know, and then there's a couple other things that they've done that are just, just, just a little wacky. Uh, one of the writers on Superman has had some gay issues, some homophobic issues, and then something, this issue about a contest with Harlequin and, and, and how who, who could illustrate her trying to commit suicide or some other thing. There's just some wackiness coming out of D.C. right now. So that it was just an important story, I think, to illustrate the issues going on there, as well as to illustrate, you know, there's a lack of uh, respect, uh, at the very least, for the gay community. Uh, and, uh, you know, if you have a gay character, uh, especially a Batwoman gay character, 
she's going to marry her, her life partner, let her marry her life partner. And if that's the, the, the creative team is saying, hey, we're going to do this, and apparently they knew it for some time, uh, you know, so to have a creative team quit, I mean, creative teams don't just quit. Comic books, that's a tough business. You know, I was in it for a bit. I wasn't uh, I wasn't a writer. I was just a colorist. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, that's a, it's a tough business, and you don't just quit and expect to, you know, for some other... Uh, uh, editor to pick you up, especially when you make headlines like that. I mean, at least that's my impression, so and they, that's my thought on it. Did they quit because they were against the characters being married, or did they quit because they wanted characters to be married, but DC Comics didn't? I, I, I think I think that DC saying um, the, ma- the, the character can't get married was the straw that broke the camel's back. I think there were a few things going on, and they were doing this kind of second-guessing the creative team, uh, the writers, uh, and I think it happened one too many times, and then it happens with a big issue, a big hot-button issue, that being, you know, the gay ma- gay marriage between, uh, I think it's Katie Kane is her name, and her, her police officer lover. So I think that was just it. They had it, they didn't want to do it anymore, uh, and that's a big issue if you think about it, you know, uh, that's a very big issue. Uh, I'm an ally of the GLBT community. I, I'm all for Batwoman getting married, uh, as I think are many folks. And uh, the response to that article, at the very least on, on my, say, on my Facebook and my Twitter page, was uh, positive and pro, you know, Batwoman getting married. Yeah. So, you know, I... Do you know what, dude, though? I want to see, I want to see either DC Comics or Marvel Comics come up with a superhero who's actually bisexual. You know, sod, sod the gay thing. Let's go bisexual. Let's just go the whole hog. <laughs> well, isn't that that's the best of both worlds, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> you know, I mean, so any hole we'll do, no bag. You know, just go the whole hog. Just go for the whole shebang. <laughs> I don't know. I think I think being gay is the whole shebang, and being a bisexual is half the shebang. But I could be wrong, <laughs> as I'm only an ally of the gay community, and I'm not actually, you know. Uh, a member and president. <laughs> yeah, to, to be I mean. honest, you know, I think I think um, if you had a bisexual character, it'd make for more interesting storylines because absolutely, you know, sure. you know, not only have you got the straight community kind of like um, have, having prejudice issues against you, but you also have the gay community having prejudice issues against you. Yeah, you know, because yeah. you saw like playing both ends, so you kind of like. You know, so so that that just makes for really interesting storylines in in a comic. And, Absolutely, uh, I agree, and and I like. We'll see what happens. I'm sure we weren't the only one to run this story. You know, uh, there were a few others that ran this story. So I'd be, it'd be interesting to see uh, the ramifications on DC and and what they wind up doing. And uh, before we go, who was that stupid dickweed who was walking around dressed as Adolf Hitler at Dragon Con? I mean, come on! Oh my gosh, that was that was. I remember seeing him at Dragon Con with my boys, and I was glad my boys didn't didn't say anything. My little guy and I, you know, we we we, you know, we're, I'm kind of a history buff, and World War II was one of those areas, and and uh, you know, I saw him walking around, and I just walked the other way. I just thought it was in poor taste. I I don't care if it's a costume of the producers. I don't care. Look, either whichever way you cut it, you know, you're you're you're. You know, Hitler shouldn't, there's no good light to Hitler. There's just no way to make Hitler cool, okay? Hitler should never be cool. Uh, and so people, you know, you got to be careful when you cosplay in the costumes you choose. You, you just can't walk around like Hitler. I mean, I think that's just ridiculous. 
And, and uh, you know, I'm, uh, this this one also, I was I almost did a story on it. I didn't, uh, you know, be, but uh, I did post it on my Facebook page. And by, I think, I think we were at, last I checked, there were 60 some odd comments. So this is an, uh, an issue. You know, a lot of people had a lot of, yeah. a lot of things to say. And a lot of people said, oh, who cares? But more than not said, uh, more than not, folks were like, you know what? That's just inappropriate. It's disgusting. Why would you do that? Shouldn't yeah. be done. And, and, I, I, and I couldn't agree more. I, I just think it should be, uh, I think it should be knocked in a room where we've jabbered a hook, farting, and, uh, that, that should be his punishment. Not only for dressing up as Hitler, but also for absolutely making a complete, you know, fuck up of the actual nightness. Because he looked nothing like Hitler, you know? It just yeah, yeah, I, I agree. You know, it was so like such a half-hearted effort. You know, he should be should be punished for that. You know, um, and well, and I, you know, freedom of speech and all that, so you can do it. But uh, I don't know. That's that's just kind of wacky, if you ask me. Yeah, that, this is this is where having freedom of speech becomes really, really damned inconvenient. <laughs> you know? If he lived in my world, he would have been shot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I, I yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I would think people. I almost said something to him, but I didn't. I was like, you know what? I'm not even. I'm not even going to. Uh, I'm not even gonna. You know, uh, say something because even that's too much. I just thought it was in poor taste. And uh, folks, if you're gonna go cosplay, God bless you. Do it, but you know, don't go as Hitler. You know, just don't do it. Uh, go, go, what are you gonna do? Go, go as his mistress instead. Eva Brom. Uh, okay, I will fine. But Hitler? Nah, I don't think so. <laughs> you know, just don't put a swastika on your arm. That's just not a good idea. Yeah, but hey, you know, know. O- only royalty can do that, and I can get away with it. Not. <laughs> uh, not, not sure if you remember. That, I know what you're talking about. The Prince, Prince, Prince over Harry in, uh, a few years back in Vegas, right? Yeah. Uh, no, not not in Vegas. Vegas was afterwards. Uh, a couple a couple of years ago, he made headlines. Uh, you know, he made headlines for wearing uh, a Nazi yeah, SS right. uniform. I, that was the, so, you know, you would think that one of his advisors would have said, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Your Majesty, maybe you don't want to do that one. <laughs> but okay. Yeah, you know, um, I, th- I think his, I think his personal assistant uh, goofed up on that day. I guess. Oh, they lost their job. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay. Well, now, now it's um, actually time for 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 us to uh, move on to the interview. Uh, Ty, thanks for right. thanks for joining us. Um, Thank on, you for having this. me. As always, I had a blast. Yeah, sure. We'll we, we'll have you on again for sure. Um, it's actually. It's actually Patrick's turn in the rotation next week, and we're going to so try and bring you on the week after. So we're just going to try and alternate right. now. We're going to try and alternate between it. different people. So, uh, again, thanks for uh, joining us, and um, I, I hope you have another easy day on Wednesday, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so do I. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Ian. Thank you, sir. Okay. Cheers. See you. Thanks a lot, Dave. Take Bye-bye. And now it's time for our uh, interview this week, which is with uh, composer Jeff Danner, who did, did music to Continuum, and, um, you know, really interesting interview, so I hope you enjoy it. I'd like to welcome um, Jeff Danner to the show. Um, he's a pretty well-known composer. Um, you're from Canada, right, originally? I was born in Canada, that's right. Yes, um, I've got a friend in Nova Scotia. He's going to be editing this soon, so, you know, you'll be quite happy to be editing for someone uh, from Canada instead of um, all these Americans that we've been getting on late. <laughs> 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 Sorry, little dig. <laughs> Not at all. 
Um, my, my opening question for you, Ring, is, um, and um, I'm not sure if you're asked this or not, but um, how, how did you actually get into uh, in com- into composing music for television and film? Was it something that you always set out to to do, or was you sort of like uh, in in bands trying try and do the commercial thing first? Right. Well, when I was when I was very young, I took piano lessons, um, like everyone in my family, and then uh, when I became uh, you know, around 12 or 13, I thought that guitar looked a whole lot more fun than piano. And I switched over to guitar and then I got in a band and I was in many bands after that. And for a while, my, uh, you know, my goal was to, uh, to make a go of it that way and, uh, maybe be a rock star or something exciting like that. Um, and then when I was about 21 or 22 years old, I hurt my hands. I had carpal tunnel and tendonitis and I couldn't play. So while I was trying to figure out what I was going to do, um, I was called, my brother, who was just getting into film scoring as well, called me and said, hey, you want to come in and play some guitar on some of these film scores that I'm just starting to do? And I could still manage to play, you know, an hour or two at a time. I just couldn't play all day long with my injuries. So I was able to do that, and I saw the process up close. And after I did a couple of those, I thought, you know, I, I could probably write that as well and uh, I just dove in from there and um, you know from my injury came a, uh, a good turn in life cool yeah I mean um, you know I, I do a lot of typing for the for the website and stuff like that. and sometimes I you know if I overdo it I, I do get a bit of carpal tunnel in my in my hands as well so um, I know what that's like it's not nice <laughs> yeah no and when you know when you're a 20 year old who's done nothing except you know play his guitar for 10 years um, and and thinks that that's all he's ever going to be doing. It's it's quite devastating. It was uh, it was a rough year, I tell you, but uh, it all turned out okay. Mm-hmm. That's good to hear. I mean, I've been reading through a lot of your credits on IMDb. You've, you've done you've got a pretty impressive range of things. Um, you know, from stuff you know such as Boondock Saints to to you know to horror and uh, action feel and Resident Evil. And I'm, I'm just wondering, is there actually a specific genre of film and television? That you, that you like to do music over and over as in do, do you have a preference um, for, for either action or drama or are you not bothered you know I, I sort of like to move around which is if you've read the credits you see that I do that a lot um, it keeps it interesting you know it's, it's never a boring job anyways but if you're moving from you know animation to you know a, a horror film like a Silent Hill or something and, and then doing um, fantasy and then drama and then, you know, uh, you know, writing songs for a kid show. I mean, I just move all over the place and it, it's kept it, uh, it's kept it interesting over the years. So I, I, I like that I'm able to do it. Um, some people are not sure what to make of credits like that when they're trying to figure out, you know, what exactly is he, but, uh, I've been able to do all these different things and, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Well, you know, from from my point of view, I mean, you know, as as I said before, I start before we started recording this. Um, I've been I've been learning guitar for about a year, a year and a little bit now. And from my point of view, I I, I saw like um, I you know my my, my favorite type. I'm not going to lie to you, is rock rock and blues. You know, rock and blues music is sort of like what I listen to a lot. But from the point of view of uh, of, of actually playing music. I'm kind of open to sort of like learning, you know, as many different styles as possible. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I basically just want to learn to play guitar. I don't want to be stuck in any specific genre. So, so I think exactly. Become, I think when you become too stuck with one, one genre, you, you sort of like become known for that and not known for anything else, really. Right. You know, it's it's been uh, a bit of a luxury to, to 
be able to really move around um, as much as I have. It doesn't always happen that way. Um, sometimes if if you have a very big film that is a comic book movie, then after that you're the comic book guy. But it's been uh, I've been fortunate, and uh, yeah, the, the stuff that floats my way comes from uh, you know all the different walks of life uh, musically. So it, uh, it like I said, it keeps it challenging, but it also keeps it interesting. And you know, you you, you know, so like um, you kind of grow from that music as well, I guess, do, doing a lot of different things and not being stuck in one sort of like type of thing. Oh, absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. There's been many projects that have come up. Well, I realized I had to do something I hadn't done before. And, you know, you dive into the research and you play around and, uh, you know, figure it out. And at the end of it, you've, you've got another, um, tool in your tool belt musically. And, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a much more well-rounded musician now than I was 20 years ago because of all the different things I've had to learn to do, uh, for these film projects. And that's always a good thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, a project that you were involved with a number of years back was the uh, Imaginarium Dr. Parnassus, which uh, was a movie that had an element of tragedy to it due to, due to the death of Heath Ledger. Now, um, you know, I'm just wondering, how did you get involved in that project, and did Heath Ledger's uh, tragic passing uh, have any effects on the music that you did, as in, did you have to make any changes to, to address uh, you know, that, 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 um, that sudden departure of the uh, leading actor? Well, I... I worked on Dr. Parnassus with my brother. It was a co-write with my brother, Michael. And we had done a film for Terry Gilliam before Dr. Parnassus. We had done his film before that called Tideland. So we had a relationship with him, and it, it had worked out very well. So when Dr. Parnassus came around, he asked us to do that, and we were thrilled to work on it with him. That was how uh, we ended up working on it. Um, as far as Heath passing, you know, that all happened long before we got onto the film. Um, if there was really any effect it had, it just had the effect of, you know, Terry had to drastically rewrite that film after Heath had passed away. And it involved bringing in, you know, Johnny Depp and Jude Law and Colin Farrell. And, 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 it, and it, there was a whole new set of storylines that developed from that. So musically, that led us down all these different paths. So I guess if there's one way that the Heath passing affected the score, it was just that when Terry rewrote it to have those three other actors you know, take those different elements of um, of Heath's character. It had three different pathways for music, and and it made it even a a wider approach. I mean, working for Terry is always a pretty exciting and colorful process musically, as it is. Um, with such a dynamic and imaginative guy, um, and that 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 element of the storyline with the three new actors just added even more sort of twists and turns in the musical road. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing that I love about listening to uh, general soundtracks to, to movies um, is and and TV series, but I think with TV series, it's not, not to the same extent. But there's this classic thing. Um, so, you know, when, when I was a kid, we were sort of like, uh, you know, we'll, we'll talk about uh, Tchaikovsky's, uh, you know, his, his, uh, his, his, his symphony about, about the Sugar Plum Fairy. And um, how how he sort of like uh, you know did did uh, individual themes for the different characters in that, and you you still get that in film, but it doesn't seem to be as pre- pre- prevalent in television. Um, and uh, that, that's something that I really appreciate about uh, you know gen- general movie soundtracks is it's you know it's one of those traditions that seems sort of carried carried on through. Right, and it happens a little less than it used to because you know this generation of filmmakers are a little less interested, I think, in 
you know, having scores that are have themes character by character. It's just a it's just an era we're in right now where there's a different kind of process going on in, in the music, you know, in the music process for films where there's not so much emphasis given to individual character themes. But anytime I'm given the opportunity, I sure like to do it. Doctor Parnassus was one of them. Even Continuum, um, there's three, four, five strong themes that follow characters um, in that show too. Simon Barry, the creator, he likes the kind of classic approach to scoring, which uh, I'm very grateful of. I think it really suits the film and it's a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, um, getting on to the continuum, I recently listened to your soundtrack for the first season and um, really enjoyed it. And um, I'm just wondering, uh, how, how did you actually become involved with that? Uh, I knew... Let me see, how did that happen? I mean, I knew somebody... Uh, who knew the producers, and I think they said, you know, you should take a look at this guy. He did a good job for me on another project. And I think they started listening to my work, and then I had an interview, and all the normal stuff ensued from there, where you go in and tell them what it is you, how you envision the music, and, you know, it's like a um, the, the meeting that you always have to try and uh, get on a project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so like I read on the inlay of the uh, CD that you actually suggested to Simon Barry that the score should be partially orchestral, um, and which which I thought was you know quite interesting because um, you know one, one would think that on a science fiction based series the temptation would be to go to something that was more sort of like synthetic and techno throughout. Right. Um, but what I liked about you know you you sort of like saying you went to go orchestral was sort of like uh, it, it it still gives you that you know, more sort of like grounded theme, you know, that grounded feel. Exactly. I mean, there's two things to remember with Continuum. The first one is it, it's a it's a science fiction show, but there's a strong dramatic core to it. The whole story of Kira and, you know, the longing to reunite with her family and that whole aspect, her personal um, journey with the time travel, um, not just the technological journey, but you know, um, the way that Rachel plays Kira with all that emotion and how she struggles with missing her family, there was a strong core of that anyway. So I didn't, I wanted to acknowledge that with the music. And then the second thing was that, you know, there's a lot of technology on screen in a lot of science fiction shows um, and movies. So you don't always have to just repeat the, the technology and the music. I mean, you can, it can be a bit of overkill. So if there's all this, you know, stuff on the screen, which is high tech and, um, you know, the, you know, the, the idea of the future and future beings and future technology, then maybe the music can round things out and remind the audience that, you know, at the core of it, we're all still people, whether we're talking future or past or time travelers, whatever, there's this emotional center to the, the characters and the story that the orchestra helps to underline, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, how much collaboration was there between between you and Simon Barry? You know, in terms of finding the right song, like sound and and uh, and feel for, for for the music, you know, in the show. Well, we go back and forth all the time on on, on every show. You know, he looks at everything I do, and we talk about it. Um, you know, Continuum is one of those shows where it sort of fit together pretty easily. Um, I read the script and saw the first show and I just felt like I knew where he was coming from and uh, wrote my first batch of pieces for them and they just, you know, he had notes and ideas but it wasn't like a start again kind of thing. I mean, sometimes you meet a filmmaker where you just see things the same way and you're on the same page right away. 
Um, and that's what happened on Continuum. You know, it's my job to get on the page with the filmmaker, no matter who they are, or how long it takes. And but sometimes it's you know you'll get it the first time. Sometimes you'll take a few whacks at it before you really have nailed it. And Continuum was just one of those shows where Simon and I seemed to just instantly be on the same page together. And um, he's a real joy to work with for a composer. I have a great time on that show. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he's a great guy. I actually interviewed him uh, last year. Oh, yeah, yeah he is a great guy. Um, I also, uh, I actually interviewed Rachel Nichols earlier on this year as well. So. <laughs> mm. So I'm, I'm sure, like, a, um, she's amazing. Yeah, do, doing a lot of con- been done quite a bit of continuum stuff. Um, not not set out to do it. It's just turned out that way. <laughs> um, well, we're we're happy for it. Yeah, also, it's, it's just one of those things. I mean, uh, one of my favourite tracks on on the uh, on the first season um, soundtrack is, um, is 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 the uh, is is the track a working time machine, um, which you know seems to be one of the more orchestral pieces on on the soundtrack. Um, could you could you talk us through how how that that one came about? You know you know the compositional process of that one. The approach to the score is is there's a strongly monothematic concept to this score. I mean there's. Like I said, there's four or five different themes that, that work throughout Continuum, you know, the Liberate have their theme and the police have their theme and that sort of thing. Um, uh, but, you know, Kira's theme anchors the whole thing. I mean, you know, Rachel is in almost every scene and, and the show's told from Kira's point of view, so it made sense that the first thing we would do is establish a strong Kira theme, something that we could use in all different iterations and, uh, you know, for different moments and the emotion, the emotional range of the character, the way Simon writes it. We wanted to make sure it was a theme that could cover all those bases. Mm-hmm. And this is just a spin-off of that. That's a, This is another example of that theme. So um, it starts with, as I recall, the first, this is what, the way I use the Kira theme for sort of her more emotional and moments where she's thinking about her family. So in my mind, this is the Kira family theme. And it's supposed to evoke her longing for her lost life and uh, you know her desire to get back there. And that's what this cue is sort of in two pieces. The first part of the cue is kind of a little bit dreamy and um, nostalgic, and it's morphs into something that is more out-and-out emotional and uh, a more direct emotional line. I mean, I don't, I don't know all my chords yet, but I should imagine there's quite a few song like D7, you know, set, set major seven chords in there. <laughs> well, there's a lot of string clusters yeah. uh, that first section. Um, I'd have to look at the score again to remember what exactly they were, because... I've written an awful lot of continuum cues, but uh, yeah, the first part is, is is quite clustered and dreamy, and you know, string harmonics, and um, you know, sort of um, almost like a memory, you know, like a memory you have of of a distant event in your life where you remember the feeling, but the details are a little bit hazy, and that's what the first half of that cue should feel like, mm-hmm. sort of like an old memory. And then, it, like I said, the second half, the piano starts, and it becomes a much more direct line, a direct emotional line. Yeah, you know, I say I say that thing about major seven chords is because I've got kind of like a thing about the major seven chords to just sound lovely, <laughs> you know. I'd, I'd, I'd probably get, if it was composed, I'd probably get fired for using them too much because it's kind of a very 70s thing. <laughs> Yeah, it's a beautiful sound, and if you can play them on your guitar now, you're moving along quite nicely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I don't know them all, but I can play a few of them. 
Um, I've noticed from IMDb that you actually have two movies um, at present in post-production. One's called uh, Bad Bad Country and the other one's called Peace Walker. Um, Could could you tell us a little bit about those films? Because I'm wondering if you're able to find any sort of actual details on them. Well, the thing about IMDb is it's often a mystery even to those of us who are on it. That film, Peace Walker, does not exist. My agent has looked into why it exists and called the producers and said, is, what is this? Like who, you know, and the producers said, we never heard of it. So that's some kind of, you know, the information age, the uh, internet age breeds all sorts of uh, oddness. And yeah, someone's created a film that isn't real. And that's, uh, that's the short story behind that film. Bad Country uh, is a film that I did for Chris Brinker, who you mentioned the Boondock Saints. I worked for him on that mm-hmm. film. He was a producer on the Boondock Saints. He was the director on Bad Country, and then tragically he passed away uh, when they were still shooting it in February. So that's that. That is that film. Um, We finished it without him. God bless him. And um, that's uh, probably going to be out later this year. Can you tell us a little bit about what's that film about? Is it it sort of like uh, an action drama sort of thing? It's It's a crime drama. Mm-hmm. Yeah, set in the it's a true story set in the eighties in Louisiana, and um, Willem Dafoe plays a real life policeman who uh, goes a little beyond the law to uh, you know try and get his hands on this uh, ring of uh, bad guys, crooks, uh, one of whom is played by Matt Dillon. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty much a straight-up um, police thriller. Cool. Um, well, we all kind of look forward to checking that one out. Um, and one, one final question, really, uh, before we go, is um, I'm just wondering, you've worked in television and film for for a number of years now, and uh, I'm just wondering if you if you have any, you know, favourite composers, you know, within within that area uh, that, that particularly inspire you. You know, I tend to think of, uh, I tend to think of film scores, more than I tend to think of just single composers. I tend to just have favorite scores that I remember mm-hmm. from, um, you know, uh, the era, especially the classic era. Um, so I, you know, I love, I often go back and listen to uh, Miklos Rosa's work. I uh, love Double Indemnity and um, Ben-Hur. That's, th- those are amazing things. Um, anything Bernard Herrmann wrote. Um, is usually very inspiring yes. to me. I think he's amazing. Uh, Alfred Newman, another guy um, that has written some beautiful things. So I tend to think more of, you know, individual scores, maybe more than just uh, composers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I'm trying to remember the name of the Alfred Newman score that I have at home that I listen to all the time because it's actually one of my favorite films and it's called The Razor's Edge that's right uh-huh. if I can remember it so that's one of my favorites so. I, I, um, I like a few I mean you know I, I think a bit like you is in but with me it's um, I, I just can't remember the name of all the composers <laughs> right but I do like I like the um, I like the theme music that Jerry Goldsmith um, did. You know, I like a few of his you know his things. You know, the late Jerry Goldsmith um, in particular. Yeah, no, he's a, Jerry's a master. There's some, that Planet of the Apes score is is amazing. Mm-hmm. I was just listening to that the other day. 
Yeah. Um, I also saw Patton recently and thought, yeah, what a what a great piece of work this is. So yeah, he's a master. Yeah, I mean, I loved what he did with uh, with Star Trek: First Contact. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because the, the music just changed so much throughout that throughout that film, and it's it's such an emotional roller coaster. And he just like managed to. I think that was actually the one that he did with his son. I think he did that with his with his with his late son. I mean. Those two composers, it's just tragic that they, you know, that they passed away, you know, given the amount of um, great work that they were doing. Absolutely. But, you know, so like, um, I, I listened to, um, you know, I, I listened to, I listened to um, so like a bit of, you know, quite a bit of their, their, their music. Um, and you're right, the Planet of the Apes score is brilliant. It's really unusual as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's very sonically interesting without using any synths, really. He, he reaches all these tonal places, um, that are fascinating. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's one of, that's one of, one of the greats, I think. And, uh, and Double Indemnity is another one that I often, um, you know, just, uh, fire up here in the mornings and it's, you know, very feisty and dark and that's a beautiful thing. Um, well, what sort of what sort of music um, other than film scores do you do you listen to? You know, in, you know when you when you song and looking to song like basically relax and chill out and you know some something a little bit less complicated maybe. You know what I listen to when I'm not working. Yep. Uh, pretty much everything. I mean, um, I was listening to Foray's Requiem last night. It's very beautiful. I like choral music, mm-hmm. um, but I also like you know pop music, rock music. You know. I have uh, boys, one of which is a teenager, so there's all sorts of that music in my house, and I love that. I, I, you know, classic rock all the way to early music. I mean, it's you know, there's beautiful things in every era for sure. Mm. Um, any, anyway, uh, Jeff, it's been it's been really really great speaking to you, and um, I hope we can do this again sometime. Yeah, no, I uh, maybe we can talk uh, after season three. I think uh, Simon has some extraordinary things planned for the fans of the show and uh, it sure ended uh, with a bang and uh, I, I can't wait to see what he's got in store for season three so let's uh, we'll, I look forward to speaking to you about that well I've um, I've got the season two finale um, lined up on my TV which I'm planning to watch at some point um, even later tonight if I've got time or, or, or maybe tomorrow well, it's got some good twists and turns in it that I think will really surprise you. And uh, like the last 25 minutes of it was solid music, so it just about killed the music department. But uh, it was a good kind of tired, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. I, 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 I know that feeling. Um, unlike the uh, bad kind of tired that I've been going through with, with the metronome, I've been tempted to chuck the bloody thing out the window. <laughs> <laughs> well, hang hang with it. It'll be worth it. Okay. Well, well, thanks a lot, Jeff, for your time. It's been been great speaking with you, and uh, you know, good good luck with the uh, third season of Continuum, and um, and and um, any new movies and projects you have on the horizon. Thanks very much. I'm very much looking forward to it.
radioactive robot lizard, but with horn-rimmed glasses and a pocket protector. <laughs> That's nerdy. We're on the rampage, laying waste to the geek landscape. We'll talk movies, TV, comics, toys, video games, and sometimes we talk turkey. Don't you mean chicken? <laughs> That's right. So check us out at Megapodzilla.com. We're also available on iTunes and the Zoom Marketplace. Aw, yeah. <laughs> Science fiction that will blow your mind. This is SFP now. And that about wraps this week's show up. Uh, next week, uh, we we have a an interesting interview coming up with a. Uh, Actor Ethan Flower. He'll be talking about uh, a, a new new film he's he's involved with, which is coming out in November. Um, it's about a, a cyber attack on America by by, uh, by China. So um, makes a really interesting interview. We we even talk about um, his role in the uh, Kevin Smith movie Malrats. So um, we've got that to look forward to next week. Um, as ever, thanks for joining us, and uh, please make you know please, please add us to your uh, your your list on iTunes. All you need to do is uh, if you go into iTunes, um, type in Sci-Fi Pulse Radio um, in the search under podcasts, and uh, you can subscribe to our feed there. Um, and also remember to tune in um, every Tuesday is Wellness Friday. Uh, on Tuesday, we usually have the new episode of Genre Entertainment, which is uh, hosted by my by my good friend uh, Mark Pyong and his wife Junie. So you know that that's that, that's actually a really good show. So um, you know I encourage you to try it out. And of course, um, carry on listening to us here at uh, SFP now. Anyway, thanks for listening, and um, we're off. Bye. the world order.